Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast when a couple pastor scholars dig into the Word of God using a seasonally appropriate scripture passage. We hope it'll be enjoyable and edifying for all, and especially equipping for pastors or teachers or leaders of any kind who are preparing uh, sermons uh, in the upcoming weeks or lessons for others. But for anyone who might want to just learn a little bit more about the scriptures themselves, uh, we hope that this will be uh, enjoyable for you. I'm your host, John Drury. I teach systematic theology and spiritual formation for Wesley Seminary at IWU. My guest this week is Larissa Levicheva. She is a, a friend of mine and a colleague who teaches with me at the at Wesley Seminary and a great Bible scholar. And I really uh, enjoy when I get to have her on the show. She's been on quite a few times uh, this year because we've just really clicked and enjoyed doing this together. And we hope that you enjoy um, when she's on as well. Our text this week is Acts chapter 2. Uh, verses 22 through 32. Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 32. Make sure to subscribe if you're not already so you never miss an episode. And as you're listening, if you're enjoying the show, uh, hit the share button on your podcast player app of choice so you can pass this show on to others so they may benefit as well. Thanks for listening and enjoy this conversation with others. Yeah, so uh, do you want to read or say a prayer after I read? Which one do you prefer? I'll read. Okay, go for it. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. You that are Israelites, listen to what I have to say. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with deeds of power, wonders, and signs that God did through him among you, as you yourself know, This man, handed over to you according to the divine plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of those outside the law. But God raised him up, having freed him from death, because it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. Moreover, my flesh will live in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One experience corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Fellow Israelites, I may say to you, confidently of our ancestor David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would put one of his descendants on his throne. Foreseeing this, David spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, saying, He was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh experience corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that all of us are witnesses. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks for this day which you have made. Grant us the grace to rejoice and be glad in it. Give you thanks for this hour to which we have been sent with the gift and task of studying the written word of God preserved and handed on to us. 
And so we dare to ask, Lord, that you would grant uh, Laura and I and all our listeners across space and time the, the grace to hear the word of God, to receive it in faith, to respond to that word in love and obedience. Father, stir in us the hope that befits the Easter gospel, the good news of the resurrection of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. For it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Yeah, so we're, we're looking at an excerpt from a larger sermon, which is part of a larger sequence of events uh, in Acts. And uh, just looking, starting with this particular excerpt, uh, it's always a hard word to say, excerpt. Anyway, um, what jumps out at you today? What's, uh, what's grabbing your attention most of all? I think looking at the, this particular passage, this particular sermon of Peter, it's interesting to note the maybe the contrast that Peter is building up in his um, sermon between the power that men of Israel, as he addresses them, think they have, and the power, the true power, that God actually has. Huh. Because, you know, he he talks about you know, he addresses the Israelites saying, um, you killed with the help of lawless <laughs> man or lawless hands. So thinking that, you know, they may think that that's, you know, they did it. They have the power over, right? Yeah. Uh, Christ or over God's plans. But uh, Peter says, no, th- he was delivered by God to you, you know, to mm. those hands, to those lawless people. and. So just just very interesting to to read through and see how God has engineered it all right <laughs> that's that's what um Peter is saying and also you know the men of Israel those who made the decision to crucify Christ right the high priest this uh Sanhedrin law um the scribes, right, and teachers of the law, they are the ones who are so steeped in the law that would be, you know, would be righteous according to law and according to the law. And yet, Peter says lawless hands. Mm. So Mm. I don't think he only is referring to the Roman soldiers who physically put um, Christ on the cross, but rather the people who made the decision were outside of the law because they did it, because they didn't see Christ as the Messiah. So that's that's kind of what jumps out at me. And also, you know, they've seen the, they've, uh, they witnessed, right? And the word witness means seeing with your own eyes. Hmm. They witnessed the signs and the miracles and wonders and the power, Peter again talks about that, was which Jesus worked right and did all of those great things which they should have recognized and yet they didn't yeah that and that creates a little contrast again so you get the the contrast between um human uh political social power right over jesus and his death 
contrast with the the hidden power of God at work, both behind the scenes in the death as well as definitively in his resurrection. And then you just mentioned then being witnesses. Everyone's a kind of witness to his miracles. And then it ends, I mean, it's not the very end, but at least this little, the logic of this, because 33 starts talking about the Holy Spirit that has been poured out. Um that we are all witnesses, right? So then there's the, there's the witness to his miracles. That's kind of more public information for everybody. Right. And then there was the witness of which the apostles are witnesses to the resurrection. Right. So that's another little contrast that I didn't right. see until you kind of laid it all out. The, the, the lawless men thing, that's a really fascinating verse 23, where it says you nailed him to the cross, right? It's a plural you mm-hmm. the last verb in 20 it's the last word in 23 right you know through the hands of lawless men you know you nailed him right. to a cross it's it's a very you know and put him to death the kind of notion of you know this community gathered here that this very kind of clear sense of like the the roman soldiers who literally nailed are just the they're the they're just the instruments right. of their uh, this betrayal, which then makes it all the more striking that it's actually God who's doing the more definitive handing over. Yeah, you, right. Judas handed over, the chief priests and elders hand him over to the Gentiles, you know, the Gentile leaders hand him over to the soldiers. Right. Um, but uh but it's God the father who did who handed over his son on our behalf or Jesus himself hands himself over is the way that right and here you get like both thoughts all in one sentence right the kind of <laughs> <clears throat> yeah so on on the one hand the this men of Israel right whoever they are and most likely not those who traveled just for the feast of uh, mm-hmm. Pentecost but you know, more of the authorities and people who participated in um, the crucifixion or making decisions, right? So, on the one hand, Peter makes sure that they understand that that was their fault mm-hmm. and it was outside the law. But what's interesting, I think, is that by, on the other hand, making it clear that it was not, it was not just them, God actually. Yeah. So, it makes it, I don't know, I I think that's, he kind of prepares the ground, so to speak, in the hearts of those mm. men of Israelite to the call to repentance that he actually finally makes right. at the very end. And we do read about a lot of right scribes yeah, 3, and Pharisees right. joining Christ. So at this point, he doesn't say anything. He just says, that's what he did. Yeah. <laughs> but that was God. So there is this intent. Yeah. Or... Hint, hint, that's what I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. Hint of uh, the possibility to repent because, you know, the guilt is not, not that it's removed, but he's, uh, he's giving them a way to get, you know, that guilt removed. The guilt is not intended to be permanent, right? right. Since it was God's plan all along. Right. You know, so, so there is a way to come back to that. Yeah. So now you could get resentful and say, you know, I mean, you could just deny it. No, God wasn't at work in all this. You're just making it up. But if you believed it, you could still be like, well, if I was just an instrument, right? you know, uh, of God's, you know, 
sovereign plan, then I'm mad that I was made. I shouldn't have to apologize. And it's kind of like, well, if you were and that kind of closing off, well, right. then yeah, you're closing yourself off to right. the, because the fact is, is that's always the case. God's always right, <laughs> you know, right. involved in things and, and uh, God always remains the Lord, even in our free choices. And you can always take up a case against God if you want. Uh, right. Good luck with that. Uh, right. <laughs> right. Yeah, it, it is. It, it's accusatory, but it's also hopeful. There's a hint right. of hope, right. as it were. And yeah, and I mean, of course, in the the word of hope is obviously, you know, very strong in the beginning of the sermon that has this Joel quotation. Right. And again, you could preach this. It's This is a timing thing, right? So this is, uh, this is jumping ahead to the preaching question, but, uh, and I won't camp on it, but, you know, this is a, uh, for interpreting, obviously, we have to look at it in the mm. large kind of context. But it is really striking that the core of these Acts sermons are these resurrection narratives, this, these Easter narratives, you know. And um, the lectionary and its wisdom or foolishness, or a bit of both, perhaps, has kind of pulled this mm. the, resu- the the resurrection centered material out of this little sermon and kind of highlighted it. Since the material before about Joel, which is all very hopeful, mm-hmm. is about the spirit being poured out on all flesh and verses 33 and the next few verses after then focus on the ascension and the outpouring of the spirit. Right. right? So those are kind of more Pentecost material. So I'm guessing that's why they've kind of <laughs> cut it out. Um, when you came in and sat down, this wasn't on not to out you, but you were like, right. so why are we stopping here? You know, it's like, <laughs> well, maybe it's a bad idea, but it's, it's, it is what it is. Right. Um, but this, what you're saying is that core contrast between the apparent power of the world over Christ and the genuine power of God, not merely in overturning it through resurrection, but already at work behind right. the scenes all along. Ah, that's really, really powerful. I- I'm suddenly seeing that like the word God keeps appearing, right? 22, yep. 23, 24. Yep. So three verses in a row, you've got Jesus, you've got other people. So in 22, that's the people attesting his miracles. Mm-hmm. And then in 23, it's the, the, the handing over to lawless men, mm-hmm. but God was actually behind it all. Yeah. And then 24, it's death is the, is the enemy that's being, right. that seems to be the most powerful of all, you know? Yeah. But God. There right? you go. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. But God, 24. Is that 24. Yes. Yeah, there's no uh I don't know if it's Yeah, it's a bummer. It, it sounds there's cooler no, as a new sentence with but on the front. There's no god. <laughs> it's not. No it's god just, all day. It's it's actually a, a subordinate clause whom yeah. the god raised having loosened the uh Thanks. agony of death. Um oh yeah, having loosened the yeah. Odinos, mm-hmm. it's the same like in Romans 8, the, the pangs, birth right. pangs, um, of death. Since it was not possible, you know, by it to be held in, yeah, mm-hmm. to have power over him. Wow. What, I mean, what a, what a line. Yeah. Whom God raised. And that's, that's another pattern in the Acts sermons. I think there's seven or so of these sermons who sometimes will say, you know, whom you Jesus 
who did these cool things, whom you put to death, but whom God raised from the dead. Right. Uh, yeah. I also find it very interesting that, you know, when he in 24, when he talks about death, mm-hmm. right, he talks about pangs, right, birth pangs. So, I mean, I have no idea why, and mm. I don't claim to know. But it's interesting, the... Um, the image that comes to mind is that because he was, because Christ was dead, right? He's there. And yet for God to get him out, death had to give him birth, right? Yeah, birth him out. I think so. I, I just wonder what Peter was thinking about, right? Rather than just God pulling him out with his power, it's more death. Mm, mm-hmm. Like, Giving birth to him, not, and it it, it uh, seems like in the way of rejecting him, right, like pushing him out. Yeah, it's well, it's the sign it's, of Jonah, right? Right, it's the, the so it's God very, causing the fish to spit him out, right? Right, it's it's God's action, but right. it, it's also demonstrate. It's not just the authority of the Jesus over death, right? Um, but just but just as if not more so the the authority of god the father over death where where he's just talking it's like he's ordering death around (laughs) like a little play thing like yeah yeah, cough him up (laughs) but yet it was so painful for death to do it right yes compared to birthing you know birth pains so it's just it's just a um very interesting very interesting picture that peter is putting together Yeah, well, let's take a quick break and come back and talk some more about that as well as again in the rest of the passage. Well, let's jump back in. Okay. And so when we talk about, you know, Christ and in this situation, you know, with God and death, um, God had to raise Jesus from the dead, right? Mm-hmm. Jesus himself could not do it. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, what if, you know, some people will say, well, he, Jesus rose from the dead. Mm-hmm. I think it's a misnomer, right? Because Jesus could not do that on his own. But yeah, the way that I would put it, of course, the language, the New Testament does speak that way, rose from the dead. Right. What it doesn't say, except for one little passage that we could debate if we wanted, raised himself, right? So right. I'll often introduce the distinction between right. the the transitive and the intransitive, right? So the, so, the, so the intransitive verb, Jesus rose, is fine, right. right? That's like saying, if you woke me up, right. I could also say, I awoke right. by you, right? So to say Jesus rose is fine, but to say he raised himself is to actually deny that he was dead. Right. Because <laughs> then people yes. do things, right? Right. And that also speaks of the trust yeah. right, that Jesus had in God the Father, knowing that he will resurrect him. Right. So that I think that's what I think that's the whole point of death and resurrection, mm-hmm. right? Uh Jesus being fully obedient even to the you know, even to Dying on the cross, as we see that, you know, later in the epistles, all of them talk about it, right? Knowing that God will raise him, though maybe not. Yeah, I mean. Right? Like, maybe not. It's an act of trust, yeah. Right. I mean, so, 
I think that makes the language in 23 crucial. I mean, whereas in 22, verse 22, Jesus is attested by, you know, miracles and signs and wonders that God's performing. That's a more, there's some sight to work with there. Right. The precise meaning can be interpreted and debated, of course. But then in 23, it's delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, right? So it's, it's, and we take it that we have good reason to believe that Jesus trusted in the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, but that's not the same as having, you know, direct, uh, clear knowledge knowledge. of what's to come. It would have been an act of a great act of trust and endurance to face this and to die in the hope of God's act of resurrection. Yeah. No, I think the, 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 recurring theme in these Acts sermons is the key turning point in the narratives in all of these sermons is always, but God oh, raised him from the dead, right. right? And and so the narrative actually gets spoiled if we just turn it into just one more miracle of Jesus, you know? Right, yes, that's <laughs> right? true. It's, um, and interestingly enough, actually, I think, like, a, again, not to go too far afield, but like the book of John ends up actually kind of like seeing the miracles that Jesus even performs kind of through that lens. Cause he'll say, I don't do these. It's right. the works the father's right. doing in me so that in a way, even the miracles themselves are sort of these works of the father done through him, you right. know, um, that he claims nothing for himself. Um, so this isn't a denial of his, his sonship. It's just oh, recognizing right. that yes. this is the way he relates to the father. Yes, yeah, God raised him from the dead, uh, loosening the agony of death since it was not possible for him to be held in its power. That's the, actually, that's the only line that kind of implies the inevitability of it all. Right. Um, but, uh, but even there, it's not attributing a, a sort of action on behalf of the son. He's the passive recipient right. of the yep. grace of God here, which then plays right into this big quote from the Psalm, right. which is interesting. And, not the only reason I wanted you to do this passage, but I I did have at least a little bit of interest in chatting, if you'd like, a little bit about Peter's uh, particular way of interpreting this psalm. I find that kind of fascinating. Any thoughts about that? About just kind of, it's a very, it's very interesting. It's very, it's very close to the text. He's kind of highlighting, well, David said these things, but his tomb's right over here. You can go visit it. So, yeah. Right. So what Peter is doing is, um, he is interpreting events, right, that they've witnessed um, through the lens of scripture, mm-hmm. right? Typical uh, Jewish exegesis. So, and vice versa, a little too. <laughs> interpreting the scriptures in light of the well, right, of Jesus or not? I mean, maybe so, in this case, it's working one way, but so it's you know, in Jewish exegesis, any basically any situation. God has already said something about it, right? Okay. So that's that's so. With this, with the psalm, it's like there is a there is a mold, and now when we look at Jesus, Jesus fits the mold. Okay. So that's that's how that's how intertextuality works. Yeah. Right. So what's what's interesting here is that during the time of David. If David wrote it, there was probably no no understanding of life after death. Yeah, this wouldn't have been. So David is clearly talking about 
a near death experience. Yeah. Right. So his life is so hard that it seems like the next thing will be death. And uh, but to you know to abandon my soul to Hades, let your holy one experience corruption, meaning you know death. So he's he's talking about protection that he needs from God in the current situation, yeah. whatever, whatever. Please don't that let me be. die. You right. saved me from death doesn't mean I died right. and, and you that's raised me again. <laughs> right. And that's premature death. Yeah. Right? Because, you know, dying in good old age is what everybody desires. Yeah. Like Abraham died in his good old days. So, yes. Um, now, by the time of Jesus and Peter and all this, uh, taking a text like this as as prophetic of at least the resurrection at the end of time, if not the resurrection of one individual person, would have been a more common reading, right? This is an invention of Christians, right? This would have been the Pharisees might have read this as right. So this in a resurrection sense, yeah, right. Such such understanding of life after death and setting with resurrection develops uh, during the intertestamental period about second century BC. But what's interesting with Peter in this passage is that he still subverts that understanding of resurrection because yeah. the Jews believe that the resurrection will happen, but at the end of time. At the end, not to one guy in the middle. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> or near the end. <laughs> right. So he's actually right here, you know, as starting, right, a new, a new understanding of what God has been doing. Like, it, he develops a different theology, right? Different biblical theology in light of who Jesus was and yeah, that's is. What, and that's what was making me think of it as the event also interpreting the text in this special case, you know? Right. Because of, although, as you said, that would be taken as, because it would be assumed from God's eternal plan that right. the event and the text are all kind of intertwined with one another. But the the... The notion of, you know, this one individual and that this is the son of David. This is the right. the David it turns out wasn't talking about. You know, you almost get three layers. You're kind of saying like that probably the earliest interpretation of this text would have taken this as, oh, I know what that feels like. You're at the point of mm. death and God, I, you know, God saved me from death. Right. And then this kind of next layer of um, interpretation that emerged later as, ooh, this might be saying – God is going to raise the faithful uh, house of Israel from death at the end of right. time. And then this kind of third twist that ironically is kind of a synthesis of both in a weird way, because it makes it about an individual again. Right. So in some sense it's closer, <laughs> uh, but in another sense, it kind of combines this resurrection thing, vision of resurrection as applying first to just this one man right. uh, who is the, the Messiah and the Lord. Right. And as we look at the psalm, David may be talking about his own situation, but he may be thinking of his um, kingship, right? And mm -hmm. the um, succession, so that that will be preserved by God. Not just him, but uh, the whole line it's is preserved. part of preserved. why you want to die in your old age. You want to make sure you have enough sons to hand right. on the line, right? Yeah. So, and that's why. So it's already a collective singular from the beginning. Right. In a way, yeah. yeah. So when, um, so when Peter says, you know, son of David, right? So that's that's the line that's preserved. So maybe again addressed in this um, psalm. So it's 
It's, it's so uh, cool. It's Verse 31. He looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection right. of the Messiah. You know, and even there, that can be taken in two ways. That could be taken as David knew about this and he was telling us about it explicitly or more subtly as this is what he was talking about, whether he realized no, it or not. You know, right. I'm a little more. I'm personally inclined towards the latter. I don't <laughs> right. know what Peter thinks. Peter might be like, no, yeah, like David totally like <laughs> had a full-blown understanding of Jesus before it happened. Um, I don't think we have to – maybe you tell me. I don't think we have to um, attribute that to these original authors for this yeah. to then be valid. Uh, I agree with you, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Feel free to disagree. It's more <laughs> well, it's yeah. more entertaining for our listeners. I will when I find it necessary. <clears throat> Rest assured. It's it's really it's very it's really very interesting what Peter is doing, talking to um, this scribes and teachers of the law who know all these passages, right? Mm. Who understand it and who themselves are looking were looking at that time for the Messiah, and yet missed him. So he again is uh, bringing you know bringing scripture together, helping them see that. That everything that Jesus did, right, miracles, wonders, powers, was which he did that. And the fact that he died and was raised by God, that's all uh, from the scripture. Yeah, it's, it's really, it's, it's just amazing how, and we think he's just a uh, fisherman. Yeah. <laughs> well, could be a few factors. He, of course... Uh, <laughs> Sat at the feet of a pretty great rabbi who may have taught him some of these things. Right. Second of all, the especially, I mean, Luke in tw- chapter 24 really emphasizes how much Jesus was teaching sure. in the scriptures during the 40 days. Right, that's true. So whether there's a kind of literary implication there of maybe Jesus was kind of laying out some of these moves, you know. But then also there's the supernatural factor of the Holy Spirit having come upon him. Oh, right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, Absolutely. I mean, these are human words. So even if he's being uh, inspired, uh, he's also speaking using his own knowledge and understanding as best he can to to walk his audience through what has happened. And, and interesting enough, like, it's so – there's a kind of – you say just a fisherman, almost like that helps make the point because there's also, there's a kind of, for as, for as clever as this interpretation of the text is on his part, mm-hmm. there's a kind of like, for lack of a better term, a kind of, a kind of flat footed insight that's right. just like, mm-hmm. here's this psalm written by a guy we all know died. And here's another guy who died, but isn't dead anymore. Maybe it's about him, right? Like, it's kind of like, there's a kind of, you almost, maybe there's a little advantage to being, quote, just a fisherman, because he can just kind of see the, there, there's a kind of, there's a kind of ready-made interpretation, just like, once the event has happened, it's like, how could this psalm not be, you know, there's, there, there, there are Old Testament passages for me that when I read them, like, I can catch that I'm maybe... Uh, pressing them to hmm. make a Christian point out of, you know? And then there's ones where you're just like, it's kind of right there, man, <laughs> you know? And, and and the Psalms are full of these where it's just like, it might not have been the original intent, but once the event, right? once you know the event, the story of the gospel, it's kind of hard to not 
it's just, wow. It just sounds like exactly the thing that we're talking about. Right. And then, you know, because he's filled with the Holy Spirit, as, you know, and Jesus said that when Holy Spirit comes, he will remind you, he will teach you, right? Yeah. So it's, it's as if now the scriptures mean so much more and be, and have become so much clearer, clearer than before that, like, of course it makes sense, right? Yeah, these are my, this is looking at Luke 24, just for fun, mm-hmm. starting the verse 44. Now he said to them, these are my words, which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, right? <laughs> you almost see him doing this. He's got Psalms, he's got Joel, the prophet, must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds. And this is before the giving of the Spirit, right? They right. opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He said, thus it is written that the Messiah must suffer and then rise again from the dead on the third day. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Right? Behold, I'm sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power upon high. Right? So they've been given the power. There's the speaking in tongues. There's the gathering in. But there's also just he's been instructed in right. how to interpret the scriptures rightly in light of their fulfillment in right. Jesus. And the, both the, I think both his human mind and his, and this supernatural boldness from the spirit are working together. together. Yes, I don't know that. No, that's that clicks, yeah. But yeah, man, I stinking love this. I, I love that he's. I love that he's kind of showing. There'd be all these rabbis, you know, in in that public space. That would be like struck right. by maybe even a little offended too, but, <laughs> but yeah. struck by like, you know, this, this like clear, like this guy, this Galilean fisherman is, has a capacity uh, to interpret the scriptures right. creatively. Maybe we disagree, maybe, you know, but there's a kind of, I don't know, like it's at least it's humbling me as someone who you know, would probably in that day be a scribe, right? <laughs> By profession. <laughs> you too, eh? You know, kind of right, yeah. professional know-it-alls, right? <laughs> and, and to be, you know, put to shame by this Galilean is is at least helping me to question my own, uh, yeah, question my own kind of resting on my own laurels of knowledge and understanding. Yep. Well, any last uh, interpretive thoughts before we take a quick break and uh, explore some sermon starters? It's just interesting how how much of what he's saying, even if it's not a direct quote from the Old Testament, still um, uh, alludes to the Old Testament. That uh, the there's so many psalm allusions, like in thirty, right, where it says about uh, God swore to him an oath to have his descendant on the throne. Right. right, like makes me think of Second Samuel seven and Psalm, uh, like is it one thirty two or right? Mm-hmm. He promises that he'll always have right, and uh, this whole idea of um, death, right, holding the pangs, you know, having mm-hmm. pangs, that also comes from you know Second Samuel twenty two or six, but that's in context of David. Mm. So 
um, Peter is actually building this whole thing, you know, starting with David, but yet David said about Jesus, right? So it's it's an amazing way of putting scripture together and yet not taking it out of the context so much, right? It's just that those all those scriptures fit this particular context. Yeah. So creating the sermon that way. Yeah, I heard you may make it very powerful. Yeah, you maybe have heard me use this term before, but George Lindbeck talks about the interpretation of text within their total relevant context, right? And right. and so there's a difference between taking something out of its original context and just sticking yeah. it somewhere else, right. right? It's another to say. But it's actually just as much erroneous to say this text is completely locked into only one original context. Total relevant context would say, well, if these texts are prophetic in any sense, whether intended by the authors or not to be so, or the human authors, as it were, right? right? That if there's any prophetic valence or layer to these texts, the total relevant context would include uh, at its core – the events that take place in Jesus, right? right. That that is mm-hmm. so. In a sense, that is part of the quote original context okay. of the psalm. At least that would be Peter's assumption. Right. So Peter wouldn't see it as, you know, oh well, I'm testing to see if this Jesus stuff really right. fits my preconceived notion of the Bible. But rather, right. this is all part of the context yes. of me understanding. I don't know how that. Well, yeah, with I, you, yeah, but I think that that's exactly how Peter and all of the New Testament writers see that. Right, this picture, uh, the scriptures talking about Jesus in that way. Yeah, and I think I think this is why it is so powerful. And three thousand Pharisees repent. Yeah, there's three thousand added to their number that day. Right. Are they all Pharisees? I don't know. Well, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. but they're in Jerusalem, and they're at you know this is this happens in the it. right in the outer court mm-hmm. where only Jewish men are allowed. Yeah, so. Hence the heavy, because it is actually very, the language is very explicitly male. It's men of Judah. It's not anthropoi. It's right. Andres. Mm-hmm. Ah, because they're in the court. Yep. I didn't think of that as being so uh, sort of intentionally, um, that he really is dressing the men. Right. And so, and the leaders that would be in right. the mix there. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That, that, that actually makes a ton of sense. Wow, that's really good. Well, let's take a quick break and come back and explore some sermon starters. Okay. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with uh, Larissa Levesheva, and we're looking at uh, Acts chapter 2, uh, focusing in on verse 22 through uh, 32, uh, an excerpt from Peter's sermon as a, the, especially the resurrection focused portion as part of this Easter season. And while we were on break, Laura was saying something she saw in a commentary on Psalms. Do you mind saying that again for us that I thought that was just really interesting? Yes. Um, this, uh, the Psalm of David that we've talked about that Peter now applies to Christ. It would be, um, limiting the scope of the psalm to consider it only applicable to David's situation or only applicable to Christ or only to David and Christ. <laughs> um, it's, you know, 
the first context, David's context, is important. The fact that the psalm applies to Christ is also important, and it's prophetic in that way. But um, what's what's also happening here is that every believer, you know, the whole church can find themselves in the psalm. So mm. God promises to everyone, and now we have the example of Jesus, right, to follow that he will not abandon us to Hades and, you know, let us not see corruption. So that's, I think that's quite an um, important point yeah, to, I, I, um, oh, go ahead. to take, you know, for us in our context. Yeah, I don't know if the author you were um, reading mentions this, but I mean, that actually kind of maps on to this ancient practice of the fourfold sense of scripture. Right. Mm-hmm. And which sometimes, you know, allegorical or spiritual senses will get a bad rap sometimes because of course, sometimes they can be overdone. Right. Right. But in a way it's just a very, it's meant to be just a kind of simple fourfold handle for these different senses of the Bible. The Hebrew Bible in particular is, is the focus on it. I mean, it, there's a, if I can find it quickly, um, <clears throat> and I'm probably not gonna be able to find it very quickly, but that, uh, oh yeah, here it is. This is, this is great. This is a line from Thomas Aquinas talking about the fourfold. <laughs> um, and this can maybe be a jumping off point for our sermon or not. We might go somewhere mm-hmm. else. The, the author of holy writing is God in whose power it is to signify his meaning, not by words only as humans can do, but also by the things themselves. So, whereas in every other science, knowledge, things are signified by words, this knowledge, theological knowledge, has the property that things signified by the words themselves also have a thing that they signify. Okay? So, the first signification, the first meaning, um, whereby words mean things, belongs to the first sense, the literal or the historical. That would be when David or whoever was writing this psalm, the experience he was having, right? But that whereby the words have themselves also have this spiritual sense, which is based on the literal and presupposes it. Right. And this has this threefold division because there are things as they are fulfilled in Christ mm-hmm. himself, right? right? And it, in Christ himself is what's called the allegorical sense, right? But then we're also taught to follow the way of Christ. So this is the moral sense, which would be that right. sense of how it applies to us and the church today, but then also the final sense, because actually the kind of uh, one of the rabbinic ways of reading this text as talking about final mm-hmm. resurrection, Peter doesn't deny. He's just right. saying it applies in advance to Jesus. Right. So you could sort of see how all four senses are in play. And I, I don't reference the four senses. I wouldn't use that as an outline typically in a sermon. Oh, right. Um but it's often in the back of my mind when I'm preaching on a text, even a New Testament text, to kind of right. be thinking through, you know, how's this how's this fulfilled in Christ himself, right, who is the proper center of all of Scripture, and then in and through him, how it applies then to us now and to us in the end, you know? Right. I don't know if that helps at all, but if it encourages anyone to see those layers mm-hmm. at work, especially in a psalm, which invites that mm-hmm. kind of poetic engagement you know yes so let's explore some sermon starters where do we want to go with that assuming this background of the fact that we've got multiple layers in this psalm and we've got the the way that peter himself 
um, preaches it. It's kind of funny. It's so hard to preach. I, I, I find preaching on a sermon very difficult, right? Right. Because he's kind of, sure. he's preaching on the psalm and then we're preaching on him. <laughs> preaching <laughs> kinda, on the psalm. Yeah, it's kind of weird, you know? <laughs> Where might you go with this though? Say you got called up, you know, like it's a, it's a, it's Friday afternoon and a good friend of yours is super sick and begging you, hey, can you cover for me? We already printed off the bulletin, the passages from Acts 2. It's, you know, it's a couple weeks after Easter. Can you fill in for me and do a little uh, Easter preaching on Acts 2? Where, where might you go? What would be your angle or your focus or your theme? Well, um, being the Old Testament scholar, I would, of course, focus on how um, the Old Testament prepares right, um, for the New Testament vision of Christ, right, an explanation of Christ. So, um, that, you know, there are so many allusions here, so it's possible to start with any and um, talk about it. I don't know, but maybe uh, more importantly is focus for me would be to focus on Peter saying, you know, we have seen, we are witnesses and, you know, we know the scripture, but this is what we have seen. Hmm. So maybe, you know, talk about, you know, how God is active now and what what we have seen God do, right, in our community, in our church community, hmm. and talk about the power of God and the miracles of God. So, you know, it is the uh, time of the resurrection, Right, that we during Easter we celebrate mm-hmm. this uh, life. So the life that God gives us, maybe, well, I would imagine there are a lot who are right now or just a little bit in the past felt like they were very close to yeah. Sheol, like they were about to die. Maybe physically, some you know some medical conditions, but maybe the situations were such, right? Family, friends work but yet it is because god has the power to deliver so i think it would be a very powerful test you know testimonial time yeah so you kind of start with this but then maybe just give uh, um the floor to the people to kind of share testimonies because i think it's because that's what peter is doing he's he's sharing his testimony yeah but he roots it in scripture Right. Yeah. So I think that's well. One way of thinking of preaching is uh, is uh, preaching and teaching the word is is you know scripture infused personal testimony. Right. right? I mean, we 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 divide the two sometimes too much, right? Because Peter, when he proclaims here, is simply talking about what he's seen and heard. Right. Um. But taking the the time to interpret it. Uh, in light of the scriptures, which we can't always expect every single, you know, some right. of us, all we got is the personal testimony. That's all we can think of saying. And, and we're kind of not sure how to interpret it. And that's part of what one of the roles of preachers and teachers in the church is, is to offer the scriptural uh, deeper meaning, right? And ground of what it is that we're experiencing. But the the focus is on our actual experience, not on just our knowledge in our heads of the the scriptures. I think that's a good idea. I think it would be a very fitting testimony week, either to share from your own life as a preacher or to call on others, either planned in advance or just on the fly. 
because there is this, you know, this uh, sort of testimonial character of it. No, I think that's really powerful. Right. And, you know, there are always unbelievers in the audience, right? Maybe they think they believe, but they don't, or mm-hmm. they openly don't. And knowing that Easter season, usually there is an influx of people yes. coming to church. So just, I, I would think when there are these testim- uh, testimonials going on, right, and the person may look at his or her own life and see like, yeah, that's that was not just a coincidence. That was not just love, mm-hmm. right? Because at the end, Peter calls for, you know, makes an altar call. Yeah. Right? So, again, that would be a good thing to An invitation for repentance, do. yeah. Yeah. Perhaps repentance you want to have a story like this yourself. Right. Yeah. So I just thought I of three... Sorry. Go no, ahead. Go ahead. No, no. This is... Uh, uh, forgive me for having three points. Uh, typical. Uh, but it, it matches sort of three moments in the narrative of 22, 23, 24, if I really wanted to focus in on that. Okay. Um mm-hmm. And, and then draw from the rest back into it to support mm-hmm. as needed. But, yes. and it could fit the testimony thing too, right? So some of you could start in 22 where you talk about attesting because the word for testimony is, is, is built in, uh, to that verb there. Um, to this, uh, you know, what is it? Miracles, wonders and signs, right? Mm-hmm. So to say, you know, who here just has a, a testimony of, some great thing right. that uh, mm-hmm. a miracle, right. That, that, that Jesus has performed for you. Right. right? Kind of start mm-hmm. with that. Cause you start with the positive kind of mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. after kind of expositing those words a little bit, then offer that. Then you could turn to 23 and talk about his suffering and death and believing in faith, but without sight right. that God was mm-hmm. at work. And then you could invite, you know, does anyone have a testimony of maybe some, some, uh, you know, maybe you haven't seen the miracle that you'd like to see. You're still in it. Right. Um, but you've learned to trust God in it. Right. Cause right. I think that could be powerful too, to let, to give people the opportunity. Cause testimonies don't always have to have a happy ending. It can be, uh, a recognition of God at work in the midst of the suffering. Right. Right. And then 24, you could exposit that a little about the power of death and then go into, you know, here, here's really like themselves been totally transformed and you'd like right. to share that way you're, you're even, even though there might be some testimony there, there's some structure to sure. it and some right. teaching, mm-hmm. but you're breaking it up in kind of parts. Yes. I think that could be a very, you know, cause in a way, like when I think of testimonies, I, these are the kind of three kind of testimonies now mm-hmm. that I think of it that I've, that you kind of tend to hear, right? Right. They're That's either going to be, you know, uh, somebody was sick and they got healed. Yay. Right. Wow. You know, or, you know, this great thing that happened, you know, or the, but kind of to someone else that I see, you know, uh, um, or the testimony of coming, of holding, clinging to your faith, even in the worst of times. Right. And then the kind of the deepest kind of testimony, which is I was lost, but now I'm found. Right. It happened to me, you know, I don't know. And it's, it's, um, no, it's it sounds great, but also remembering that it's all happening in community, right? Mm-hmm. So the power of uh, testimony in community, right? Yeah. Where you think you're the only one struggling with this, or right, whatever, or where this has not happened to you yet, but somebody is speaking about it, te- you That's know, right. testifying to God's power. So it's 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 pretty powerful. Yeah, and then right? after all that, you could actually end then with the psalm stuff. Read right. the whole psalm and say. This applies 
to David, to Jesus, to you, to me, to all of us, have that basically to do the fourfold sense without calling it that, right? To say, you know, um, and maybe, maybe we should just end there. Maybe just listen to the, the whole song because it might have some, I don't know. Does that sound like fun? You want to read it or shall I? Go ahead. Okay. Protect me, O God, for I take refuge in you. I have said to the Lord, you are my Lord, my good above all other. All my delight is upon the godly that are in the land, upon those who are noble among the people. But those who run after other gods shall have their troubles multiplied. Their libations of blood I will not offer, nor take the names of their gods upon my lips. O Lord, you are my portion and my cup. It is you who uphold my lot. My boundaries enclose a pleasant land. Indeed, I have a goodly heritage. I will bless the Lord who gives me counsel. My heart teaches me night after night. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not fall. My heart, therefore, is glad and my spirit rejoices. My body also shall rest in hope. For you will not abandon me to the grave, nor let your Holy One see the pit. You will show me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and in your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Glory to the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, now, and ever shall be. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks so much for giving an hour to study and geek out with me, and I I always love it. Yeah, thanks so much to all our listeners, as always, and thanks to uh, Todd and Eric for their great production work. I can't imagine doing it without them, and thanks to Tom for donating theme music, and thanks uh, above all to God for his word and for his guidance of us. We entrust all things to you, O Lord. All right, we say to you, have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye. Bye.